welcome to Memorial Hall Library's Shelf Help Podcast. I'm Stephanie Smith, a reference and cataloging librarian. I'm Justin Termini, a reference librarian. I'm Renata Sankin, a reference and teen services librarian. And we're here today to talk about some books that we've read recently and enjoyed. So we, we really don't have any theme to these books, and I think we have some like overlapping reading habits between the three of us, I think, but I feel like there'll still be some good variety here. So hopefully if someone listening will uh will find something that appeals to them. I'm seeing that your book has a plant on the cover it and mine both have flowers. Hey, That's perfect. It's a theme. You have anything plant related? Um Hannah? not really, sorry. <laughs> That's okay. Justin and I are both into gardening. Yeah. Although my plant book has nothing to do with gardening. Uh-huh. Um so I'll jump into that one first. It's called The Plant Hunter. The Plant Hunter by Cassandra Leah Quave. And uh, it is recent nonfiction. I actually listened to it as an audiobook, and it was excellent on audio. Highly recommend. Uh, I'm sure reading it is good also. And it is a memoir um, by a woman who had a real has is fairly young still and has just had such an interesting life. I feel like sometimes there's some suspicion from readers when a very young person writes a memoir. Or like, you know, she's in her 40s. I mean, she's not, you know, a kid. But um, but she has already had a very interesting life. So as a child, she, uh, she was born with a condition that caused one of her legs to be amputated below the knee when she was three. But that did not hold her back at all. And she has gone on to become a an ethnobotanist, so a scientist who um, travels the world looking for plants that can be used in medicine. And her specific focus is plants that would be um, helpful specifically for, like, antibiotic-resistant infections, Um, so, like, MRSA, some strains of staph. Um, And, you know, these are infections that she struggled with as, uh, you know, I mean, like, with her amputation that's kind of prone to infection, especially as she's traveling in these, like, hot, tropical locations. Mm -hmm. So she has sort of a personal interest. And it's one of those books where I'm listening, and it's like, yeah, I want to be an ethnobotanist. (laughs) And then I remember that I'm really not cut out to, like, wander through swamps for a month. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's like, I would not actually enjoy that. But, But she is so invested in it, and... You know, and is so passionate about her work that listening to it, you really do. I at least got very swept up in it and was, you know, ready to go back to school for ethnobotany um, before sort of coming to my senses. <laughs> but, um, you know, and there's, I feel like there's a good balance between, you know, her professional life, her personal life. Um, you know, I mean, you find out fairly early that she ends up, you know, marrying and having children. And, you know, so she talks a lot about the struggles of, working this job while also being a mother of young children and, like, you know, how she's able to make that work. Um, The answer with a lot of help from her very generous husband. (laughs) Um, But it was, it was really a fascinating, it was a fascinating memoir. I really enjoyed it. It was something that I've never thought about before. I did not know that this was a career. I mean, it seems sort of obvious now that I know, but I don't know. I, yeah, it was just, it was a whole new world for me. So I really enjoyed listening to that, and uh, I would highly recommend it. I will say the last part is about uh, her work during COVID, and I was like, mm. I could maybe live without thinking about this uh-huh. more, but that was a fairly small part of the book, all things considered. 
And, um, and yeah, even, you know, it was, it was sort of an inspirational kind of read where you're like, oh, like people are doing good things in the world. Like wonderful. Yeah. So I always appreciate that in the book. I'm not, I'm not in the mood for a downer these days. Yeah. Um, it's so. interesting, like reading um, recent books and when they're mentioning COVID mm-hmm. or just as a sort of like general thing, and it's always shocking. I think it's COVID's kind of collapsed time in a weird way. Yeah. yeah. But it's like shocking when it's like, this, like, how are they? I feel like this is happening and they're like talking about it in the book. Like, how fast are these production schedules? I know, books? right? Like, when was this written? Was it finished like a year ago? Maybe? Yeah. I mean, it must have been finished a decent amount of time ago because, like, there's some amount of time between when it's any book is finished being written and when it's actually like right. published. Right. I mean, yeah. it takes time to, like, you know, print it, like, physically, and so I feel like she wrote most of it during COVID, and she she might have said in it, it was published in 2021, Um, I think, like, September, give or take, Mm -hmm. so, so conceivable that, like, she sat down to write it during lockdown, Mm -hmm. um, Although it sounds like she was keeping plenty busy. I don't, honestly, I don't know how she found time to write this book. <laughs> like, she has a busy, she has a busy life, but, um. Well, like you said, maybe it was during lockdown. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. It doesn't sound like a work from home job. <laughs> <laughs> that makes yeah. Yeah. So, anyway, that's The Plant Hunter by Cassandra Quave, Q-U-A-V-E. And we do have it. Uh, as a book in the library so you can come in and find it we have it as you know in e-formats as well so and then while you're here you can go to the seed library and become your own plant hunter <laughs> yeah you absolutely can it is i think fully stocked at this point so, yeah. um and yeah available whenever the library is open excellent point renata <laughs> uh do you want to do you have want to go into one of your plant related books justin yeah um well actually a different one that i don't have on me yeah um, but it's kind of a good jumping off from that um i just finished crying in h mart by Mm, michelle downer i've heard that's great yeah Yeah. Yeah. it's interesting because it is it's also like a memoir by a very young person i believe she's in her maybe early 30s um so she is a musician in a band called japanese breakfast and the memoir is kind of about um it's like the process of her mother dying. Mm. Um, it's really, really heavy. It's she was born in Korea um, to like uh, a Korean mother and a white father, and she was raised in the Pacific Northwest here. So a lot of it's about like coming to terms of like living between those two cultures and the fact that like she a lot of her kind of Koreanness comes from like her mother's side of the family, and that side of the family was kind of just decimated by cancer. Mm. So it's I mean it's really really heavy. It's really dark. I was reading it like on my lunch break. I'm like, I don't think I can go to the reference. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like yeah. while reading this book. Um, I mean, there is, there's a lot of like, she, she goes in depth into like food too. So yeah. there's a lot of stuff that kind of brings you up out of that a little bit. There's humor in it. Um, she's a really, really talented writer for like, this is her first book. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, it's really good. You do have to sort of be in the mood to like take in something really heavy. Like it's, Ultimately, I don't want to say it's triumphant or anything like that. Mm. Like, that sounds kind of cliche. But it does sort of have this sense of, like, going on after, like, this really, really great loss. But, I mean, the the chunk about sort of caring for her mother dying mm. is, like, the bulk of the book. So it's a lot to take in. Like, they are, the title's actually tied into this imagery of, like, you know, being a, an Asian American and, like, what each mart, the Korean supermarket 
kind of like holds for for people who grew up in that culture. So going with her mother and having like Korean food and then the process of like going there after her mother passed away and sort of the alienation of that. Um, so really, really good. Highly recommend. Um, definitely have like a kind of happiness chaser. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Something happy after that maybe. Yeah. Um, or you'll be the one crying in HMR. Yeah. yeah. Stop and shop or whatever. It, it was yeah. funny. I was actually just looking at like videos online. Like I found an interview from her by the official like HMart YouTube page. Oh, which yeah. I was really funny. <laughs> like HMart interviewed her about. It's like a weird publicity <laughs> thing too. Because, yeah. I mean, yeah. She says positive things about the place, but it's, it's very sad. You know? Yeah. So. Yeah, that's not HMart's fault. It's not HMart's yeah. fault. Yeah, HMart <laughs> tried to lift her up, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. But it's it's also interesting because there's been sort of in the last few years quite a few kind of like literate, I guess, rock star memoirs, yeah. for once with our term. Like, um, Patty, I mean, Patty Smith yeah, has several. Just Kids yeah. by Patty Smith was a beautiful book. Like, that was a really, really fantastic one. Um, so this kind of goes in that in that tradition. Um but with a different twist. Like it's it's yeah. talking about her music career as it's sort of like ascendant, but it's it's really not. But that's kind of just in the background. It's not really focused on that so much. Yeah, yeah. I remember cataloging that and being very tempted to just like read it. Yeah. yeah. But unfortunately, that's not what our jobs are. Yeah. <laughs> Despite what patrons may think. Right. Yeah, <laughs> now, for for anyone listening who thinks that we get to read for money, we do not. <laughs> Not here, anyway. But if you know what that job is. Well, yeah, please, <laughs> let us know. Um, but yeah, that looked really good. And I think it's been on the New York Times bestseller list it's, for yeah, a while. for quite some time, um, I think. So, clearly you're not the only one who's enjoyed it. But we do have it in all formats. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, um, I'll, I'll transition into another nonfiction yep. book that's also a little bit of a downer. <laughs> frankly. Um, Before we started recording, we were joking about how, you know, I'm a teen services librarian and not a lot of teens are probably listening to this podcast because the teens are on TikTok. We know that's where they are. Um, Is this podcast on TikTok? Can we divide it into one minute sections and put it on TikTok? (laughs) I mean, probably. Do you want to be in charge of that? Absolutely not. (laughs) Um. But so I, I am a teen services librarian, and I read a lot of young adult books, but I know a lot of other adults are out here reading young adult books, which is great, because there's a lot of really good YA books. And for me especially, I really like to read uh, informative nonfiction written for teens. Like, I, I read adult memoirs and essay collections, but I think that nonfiction written for a teen audience can be a really good way to learn more about a topic you're not as familiar with because sometimes an adult nonfiction book is just maybe too much information or it's too long. You're like, I don't have time to read this 800 page book. Give me the teen version, please. Mm -hmm. And I think a really strong example of that is uh, revolution in our time. The black Panther party's promise to the people, which is kind of hard to say (laughs) uh, by Pekla Magoon. This is a really um, highly lauded book. It was a finalist for the National Book Award for Young People. It was a Coretta Scott King honor book this year. It was also a Prince honor book this year, which is kind of rare. Um, the Prince Medal, if you're not familiar, is kind of like the Newbery Medal for teen books. It's kind of the highest honor the American Library Association gives to teen books. And it's not specific. It's not specifically for fiction, but it tends to go to fiction. 
it's pretty rare for a nonfiction to get on that list. Um, but this one did because it's it's exceptional. Um, it's really it's a really timely book, I think. Um, and it's something where for me and I would imagine probably for a lot of people, especially like white people, if you went to public school, your your history class probably didn't really talk too much about Black Panthers. If it did, it was probably like a footnote to like Martin Luther King Jr. And so I, I learned a little bit more about them since, but it was really eye-opening to just like read this really well-researched and engaging history of the party from how they started. And so in, in the sense of that they just sort of, one, you know, got out and were like, no one's giving free breakfast to our children, we'll do this. No one's protecting our people, we'll do this. We'll go and learn all of our legal rights and we'll put on like legal workshops so that everyone in the community like knows our rights. And they just, you know, they just started doing this in this pre-internet time. It was truly like grassroots word of mouth became this very powerful movement. And so reading about that, it's like, yes, this is so inspiring. They're doing amazing things. And then the downer part is, of course, (laughs) when the FBI gets involved, as is so often the case. (laughs) So reading that and then just realizing how how buried this history has been and how in some ways we're starting to repeat it. That was kind of the downer part, but it's still a really good engaging book and it's not a hundred pages long. So, you, you know, you can get through it. And um, even I feel like for me, and I think for a lot of people during COVID, all of this has really just kind of shot my attention span. Like it's harder for me to engage with a very long book. So if that's your issue as well, check out a teen book such as Revolution in Our Time, The Black Panther Party's Promise to the People by Kekla Magoon. I will I will jump in and say that I also enjoy teen nonfiction. Mm. I haven't I haven't read a lot of it recently, but um but yeah, it I agree, especially if it's something that you really don't know anything about mm-hmm. or like have, you know, base you know, functionally no knowledge of. I feel like sometimes an adult book will assume that you know yes. a lot, like to begin with. And mm-hmm. I feel like the teen nonfiction is like really good in that regard yeah get to the point right exactly like who are the key players like what are the key events like what do i actually need to know to have like a reasonable understanding of this um yeah there's uh steve shankin is one of my favorite teen nonfiction authors um i've read or listened to a good deal of his of his nonfiction books um but yeah it's an excellent way in and uh, for anyone wondering our teen nonfiction is interfiled with our adult nonfiction so you may you may just find it while you're browsing and like just because it says teen on it that does not mean you can't take it it is there for everyone yeah no. you're allowed right <laughs> right like you don't need special permission it is just there for the there for the borrowing and so you know if it catches your eye like please please borrow it um I would say as a jumping off point too, like another, like I'm going to read that book. Yeah, yeah, I do want to read that book. Um, but I actually read fairly recently a graphic novel called The Black Panther Party, A Graphic Novel History by mm-hmm. David F. Walker and Marcus Kwame Anderson. And that's just, that's another way that you can yeah. kind of interact with nonfiction if, yeah, like an 800, 900 page book is a little too much to put on your yeah. plate. Graphic novels can kind of break them up into smaller chunks mm-hmm. or you know, you're, you're pulling in a lot of visual information, so it allows you to sort of learn things differently. Yeah, And I feel for, for me, like graphic novel, nonfiction, 
is really helpful for kind of solidifying knowledge that you might already have. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking like teen um, nonfiction could be helpful for that too. Like if it's a subject you've read about, but you want to just kind of brush up mm-hmm. or, you know, you just kind of want to solidify that knowledge because it's hard to hold all that stuff in your brain. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So was this based off of, was it the same author that did like a teen version of another work they had done? Oh, good question. No, and that is something that happens pretty often mm-hmm. is there will be a young reader's edition of, of a fully length adult book. This is its own thing, just written for teens. Mm. Um, Kekla Magoon is someone who's written a number of novels for teens and middle grade audience. I believe this was her first nonfiction book, though. Mm. And yeah, it's, it's just this. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds great. I would also love to read it. So I I think there's another relatively new teen nonfiction about the Black Panther Party, and it's sitting on my cataloging card, <laughs> and I got to it last week, and the, like, suggested call number was something like, you know, basically, like, terrorist groups, and I was no. like, oh, and, you know, and I was like, well, what else do we, like, have in that number? And, like, we have some other books about Black Panthers in that number. And then we also have books about the KKK. Well. And I was like, I mean, on the one hand, like, like this is not the worst thing to be next to each other on the shelf. Because, like, these are, you know, of the, like. If you're interested in reading right, about if you're interested in one, you're probably interested in the other. I mean, not necessarily, but, like. You know, I can not see, in joining them, right? Not in joining them. Them. Yeah, <laughs> right. Exactly. Like I can see that someone, you know, who maybe wants to like read books about American race relations right. in the you know middle of the last century may well be interested in both of these. But I was like, I don't feel great about this number, and like want to consider some other options for, like, maybe where we can move the Black Panther books. Like, you know, not vastly far away. But, but like, like, social movements, maybe. Yeah. Right, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And there, there yeah. is a number for social yeah. movements. And, like, right. You know, or even just, like, that that sort of specific number, it's, like, the next number, like, the next broader number is more generally, like, you know, extra-governmental groups. And, yeah. like, even that feels, yeah. <laughs> like, that feels better. <laughs> Put them next to the FBI books. Yeah. I was going to say, this feels like Quintel Pro had an operative at Library of Congress. It was Dewey. His, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Possibly Dewey himself. Um, and then things got things got busy in tech services. And, and so it's just like still on the bottom of my cart mm-hmm. um, because it will also involve recataloging yeah. some other books. <laughs> and hopefully I'm going to get to that later today. Um, but but yeah, just as a, as a fun cataloging <laughs> fact, yeah. sometimes... Sometimes, you know, even cataloging is not neutral, let's right. say. It's Revolution not, in our catalogs. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we are all about that. Stephanie's promise to the people. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> oh, everyone would no. sign up to read that, I'm sure. <laughs> It'll be riveting. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, you know, a lot of times it is more straightforward than that. But this one, I was just like, hmm. <laughs> yeah, thorny. Let's reconsider. Yeah. Like, we can do better than this. These are not the same thing. <laughs> One of these things is not like the other. It is interesting because you know, somebody could go to the shelves and see yeah. those books next to each other and sort of equate like, right. oh, these are the same thing. Right. Right. And, and that's, yeah. Yeah. And like, problematic. I don't know, I don't know how many people really spend a lot of time thinking about why we organize nonfiction mm-hmm. books the way we do and like, that's fine. Um, but like, but yeah, I did have that same thought that like, I don't, I, I don't really want someone going to the shelf and being like, oh, like, 
two sides of the same coin. Right. Uh, like, uh, yeah. not, you know, so on my on my cataloging to do list. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so another book I have with me on a on a totally different back. <laughs> I've got science fiction. So I guess the two the, the theme tying my books is science, except really the science fiction novel I have here is not particularly sciencey. <laughs> it's maybe like space capers. More okay. is a more accurate way to describe it. So Not the caper, yeah. I have I have with me Provenance by Anne Lucky. Uh, I'm sure I've talked about other books by her on this podcast, but not this one because I only read it recently, and um, it was excellent. I, I have enjoyed all of her books, so I am biased in that regard. But this one was also excellent. I'm happy to say it is from I think 2017, and somehow I hadn't gotten around to it till now um it is set in the universe of her first trilogy which starts with the book ancillary justice but it is about a totally different set of characters and i think a reader who has not read that trilogy could very easily come to this and the fact that it's in the same world like would not you know it it wouldn't be confusing in in the way that like oftentimes with science fiction or fantasy, you are thrown into a world that is unfamiliar to you and you don't know the details. And like, yeah, there's a couple of things in here that you'll pick up on more if you've read the other book, but like it's background stuff. It's not like essential plot stuff. Um, And yeah, I would say it's, it's sort of space opera meets like heist kind of. Um, So it follows it follows a young woman who, um, who is from a very competitive family, and she thinks she has this excellent plan for, like, how she's going to sort of get ahead of her brother um, in this, like, sort of familial, like, informal competition uh, to, to win their mother's sort of praise and respect. And things do not go as planned. <laughs> and I, I feel like that's really all I'll say about it. Uh, so it's not to spoil the plot for any listeners who might be considering reading it, but but the overall feeling of it, you know, I mean, there's, you know, there's politics, there's action, there's, you know, things going awry, and yet it's upbeat in a way, or, you know, it's it doesn't feel, like, overly depressing or serious or, you know, it was actually, it was actually, dis- based on the cover, which is, like, very dark and sort of, you know, somewhat militaristic in, in a font and coloring. It's actually, I feel like that's not the best cover for it because mm. it doesn't really, to my mind, match up with the, with the feeling of the content. Um, which, you know, it was, it was one of the books lately that I've just sat down and I'm like, oh, I, like, I really want to keep reading, <laughs> you yeah. know? Um, like, I want to know what happens. I'm invested in these characters. Like, I maybe don't get everything that's going on, but like I'm willing to, I'm willing to roll with that. I feel like that is just life these days. I don't get everything yeah. that's going on, <laughs> so I'm willing to live with that in a book. Um, and yeah, she, Anne Lucky is just such a master at at throwing you into a world that is fairly different and uh, like and unfamiliar to readers from Earth, <laughs> um, which I think is all of us. <laughs> and yet, you know, it, she never gets bogged down in exposition or, like, explicit world building, hmm. you know? So you do have to be a little bit willing to live with with not knowing or some level of confusion. But by the end of 
all of her books, she has snuck in enough information that it makes, you know, as you keep going, things keep clicking together and you're like, oh, okay, like that's how this is here. And and so I really appreciate that because I love world building, but I don't always want to just like read exposition, mm-hmm. you know? So, uh, so I found it really, really engaging. I would be thrilled if there's a sequel. I, I don't know that there will be, but, um, you know, the, it, it's got the kind of end where it feels satisfying as an end. It's not like a cliffhanger where you're like, where you feel like the author is sort of <laughs> tricked you. <laughs> you're like, but I thought this was the end of the book and it's not. <laughs> it does, you know, but, but it is, of course, the sort of end where you could imagine a sequel. Mm-hmm. Um, so was was something that I really enjoyed. Has she written other books since, like of a different she, series? Yes, or, she has or? a book that I know I've talked about on this podcast, The Raven Tower. She's written more recently, and it is solidly fantasy. Mm-hmm. Whereas this and her others lean more on, like on this. So for, her first trilogy is very much like hard sci-fi feeling. Mm-hmm. This is sort of middle, kind of a middle ground between sci-fi and fantasy. And then her most recent book, The Raven Tower, is like very much fantasy and really excellent as an audiobook, mm-hmm. I will say. Um, and also the same kind of thing where you get into it and you're like, what is happening here? I like, I don't understand who's narrating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like who is narrating this? Um, I remember with that audiobook, the first like 40 minutes, I was just I was like, I have no idea what's going on. But then after that, I started to have enough information to like, start putting some things together. Um, anyway, so I don't know if she's going to kind of veer more in, in that direction. Oh, I feel like the Raven Tower would be very hard to do a sequel to. That really did have a pretty definitive mm-hmm. end. Um, so we'll see. I'll be, I'll be excited to see what else she publishes. And uh, certainly anything else that she does put out, I'll be willing to at least give a try to. I will say I'm, I'm a little sad right now because I'm reading... Mike Chen's newest book. And I've really enjoyed his first three books. And this one, I'm just struggling. Um, this one is called Light Years From Home. And there are aliens, and there are tricky family dynamics, which are usually both things I enjoy. But maybe I just feel like I'm not quite in the mood for tricky family dynamics right now. <laughs> Alien abductions, yes. <laughs> um, so I don't know. It's always, like you know, but I'll certainly be willing to try whatever she puts out next. And we'll see. Maybe I'll make it through Light Years From Home. I can certainly wholeheartedly recommend Mike Chen's first three books, although one of them is set in a near future after um, a pandemic has ravaged the population. And I read that one in uh, January of 2020. And even it was like starting to seem on the nose. And um, I would maybe not recommend that one for right now. (laughs) But, you know... His first one here and now and then is really excellent. Uh, you know, it's sort of time travel and like, you know, the time traveler caught between two worlds. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you're into sci-fi, it's an excellent choice. Um, but I digress. <laughs> uh, so my next one is Orwell's Roses by Rebecca Solnit. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd never read any of her books before. I read uh, like quite a few essays and things like that by her. Um, but I'm, I'm really interested in George Orwell and his life. And this is a really, really fascinating book because it's, I mean, it's ostensibly like a biography 
but it kind of plays out like a series of essays kind of revolving around the same subject matter. And it keeps coming back to, I guess, the jump off point for the book is she was looking to write about George Orwell. She found there was this kind of like little covered period of his life in between. So he went to Spain. He fought in the Spanish Civil War. He got shot in the neck. He came Ooh. back to England and right before, and then he lived through like the Blitz in London. But before that, um, he like lived in a little, in a little village in England somewhere. And he had like almost like a little homestead and he started gardening. And so she sort of had read about that in his letters, decided she was going to go because she, she, like he actually took like meticulous notes about what he planted. Mm. She saw that he planted trees and she wanted to go and see if those trees were still there to kind of create this tangible connection between like the man and like contemporary mm-hmm. life. She goes and she finds the people who now own the home and they had cut down the trees. Aww. They're gone. But she did see that there were some rose bushes there and she had remembered that he had talked about planting rose bushes. So then she's going on the assumption that, you know, a healthy rose bush could last that long. Um, so she kind of uses that as the jumping off point of the book to then sort of explore all these different facets of kind of his life and like gardening and flowers. And then it kind of ties into just that rose imagery like she connects it to the concept of bread and roses, mm-hmm. kind of ties it to like the textile strikes in Lawrence in 1912, mm-hmm. where that idea is kind of associated. Like there's a lot of the festival they do every year in Lawrence. It's called the Bread and Roses Festival. It actually turns out that term, she tries to track it down. It was never used in those strikes. It kind of predates it. Huh. But the logic of it was, you know, the people who are striking are striking for bread, which is like they're what they need to survive. But in addition, there should be joy in life, which mm-hmm. is the roses. And there's an interesting story that she kind of gets out of that where Orwell at this point in his life, um, he was writing for like a socialist newspaper and it's right as like the war, it's imminent that war is happening in Europe. And he writes this article about going to Woolworths and buying these rose plants. And he gets a letter, like an angry letter to the editor that's like, how can you possibly be writing about like roses at a moment like this when there's so much going on? And he writes this like passionate response about like, if we don't have joy in our lives, like, what are we fighting for? Like, what is the point of fighting for a better future if you can't actually enjoy, like, your existence in your life? Um, yeah. And through that, she kind of goes into, I mean, she goes to, like, in Colombia, where most of the roses that we have here come from there, and, like, the brutal working conditions mm. in the rose, wow. like, factories there, essentially, um, which is really eye-opening. If you ever buy roses in this country, you, you kind of don't want to know where they come from, but yeah. you should. Um, you know, so it's just kind of, it's, and it's interesting, the cover sort of shows these kind of tangled thorny vines, um, and that's kind of the way that the book kind of moves around these things. Um, it sort of eventually brings it back to him writing 1984 and the sort of bleakness, like overwhelming bleakness of that world, but she finds an imagery of like a rose in that book that she'd never seen before Mm. that leads to some kind of sense of hope coming out of that world. Um, really, really interesting. Um, it's interesting because he, Orwell in 1984 in particular gets kind of like taken by any side of the political, mm-hmm. like kind of spectrum. And he was, I mean, he was a very devout, clearly devout, like socialist throughout his whole life who was an anti-authoritarian, who was against Stalin, who took a lot of flack for that. Um, but I think she's, in addition to writing about all this, she's trying to sort of like replace him politically like where we should see them. Mm-hmm. 
Um, fantastic, like really great book. I definitely want to read more of her, her work after that. Yeah, yeah. Really Sounds fascinating. Yeah. I love just nonfiction books that kind of work as like essays, but they're tied around the central point. Yeah. Yes. That's like one of my favorite kind yeah. of genres. Yeah. yeah, it's so good when it's done well. Yeah. It's frustrating when it's done poorly. Yeah. But it uh, just does not sound like that. Because you sort of have to, like, know, like, do you want to just do a, a, a series of unrelated essays, which is fine. Right. But if you're going to try to tie them to a central theme, it, it's got to kind of, like, work. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 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 I also, I also remember cataloging that one and being <laughs> like, do I put this in Orwell? Do I put yeah. this in gardening? I like. Do I put this in essays? I think I ended up putting it. It's in, in biography. biography. Ultimately, that's what it is. Yeah. I mean, it's it's keeps tying, and she does kind of expressly at the beginning say like this is a little covered period in his life, so I'm going to focus on that. Yeah. You know? So it makes sense. Yeah. 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 It sounds great. Yeah. I do love biography. Well, I, I love biography, but I also love young adult fiction. Yes. <laughs> and so uh, I've, I've really uh, snuck two books in together to talk about, <laughs> uh, which are uh, Pet and Bitter by Akweke Amazi. And Pet came out a few years ago. This, again, um, you know, National Book Award. I think it was the winner, but maybe shortlist. You know, very well regarded. People kept telling me, Pet is so good. You have to read Pet. And I had a wrong assumption about the book. I judged it by its cover, which we all know we're not supposed to do, but we all do it. And I think that Pet has a bad cover. It has a really cartoony-looking cover. And the tagline of it is something like, Pet is here to hunt monsters. And I was like, oh, is this like a Pokemon book? Like, I don't, this doesn't really look like, I don't, this doesn't look that good. It's incredible. It's a bad cover. I don't, I don't like it. But if you can just skip past the cover, um, it is this really um, kind of genre-defying, kind of a dystopia, uh, kind of a fantasy, kind of a science fiction, kind of a coming-of-age story, but it's set in this future society where the monsters are these sort of they're sort of these allegories for like social ills basically but they take a tangible form in this world and so they think they are in this utopia where they don't have you know they don't have racism they don't have child abuse they don't have all these things um because all the monsters have been taken care of um yeah. <laughs> if, if you've read George Orwell, yeah. you guess where it's going. Um, but it's just the writing is so stunning. It's really well done. It's a really beautiful book. Um, so that's Pet. And then Bitter by Akweke Amaze just came out this week. It's a new book. It's a prequel to Pet. And it's also incredible. And it's Bitter is set in a world that's a lot like ours. And you can, they haven't yet um, started referring to these things as monsters. She's, you know, bitter as a student at this sort of prestigious art school. And, you know, it, it, like as Justin was talking about Orville's Roses, I was thinking of bitter because that's very much the conflict in bitter is they are living in a world that's a lot like ours. And so there's, you know, protests going out in the street. And um, I don't think they actually use the phrase Black Lives Matter in the book because it is a slightly different world, but it's basically 
very um, comparable to that. And then meanwhile, in the world of the school, they're, they're grappling with the question of like, how can we make art? Should we be, should we just drop out of school and join these protests? Um, and these are where, this is where um, the main character um, from Pet, her name is Jam, Jam's parents meet at this school. And so this is a book about her parents and them struggling to figure out where their art fits into this world and what they can do with it going forward. And it's a really interesting and beautiful and and hopeful book. But then to tie it back into the world of Pet, like I just really love these two books. And so they're... Mm -hmm. Um, I think really you could read them in either order. I think you could read Bitter and not have read Pet first, but do yourself a favor and read Pet because it's great. <laughs> mm-hmm. So Pet and Bitter by Akweke Amaze, both really strong young adult yeah. fiction of multiple genres yeah. books. I think that author has also done adult yes. novels. So yes. like if you exclusively read adult novels, you might have heard the name. And this is a great op- opportunity if you like your adult novels to check out the young adult one Mm -hmm. you'll probably like them too yes i think her first novel is bittersweet which is adult i think Mm -hmm. she has another adult novel as well since the theme yes (laughs) (laughs) Uh, although probably a very different book i mean yeah i i from what i've gathered i think she is very interested in grappling with these themes of 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 the power of art and and protests and social issues I mean, I, you know, it does make sense that a writer would be interested in, like, the role of art <laughs> yeah, in the world. Yeah. Um, not surprising that that, that that comes up as a theme a lot. Um, yeah. But certainly relevant to the current day. Yes. So, um, in the vein of books with kind of misleading covers, I'll take this opportunity to mention the February book of the month. Although I think by the time you're listening to this, it will barely be February anymore. Um, but, you know, it's still a good book. It's called The House in the Cerulean Sea, and the cover looks like the cover for a kid's book, mm-hmm. um, which is fine. That did not put me off, because I'll read any book. Um, <laughs> but but it is the sort of thing where you look at it, and you might just assume it's for kids. And I actually think it is genuinely one of those books that a person of any age could read and enjoy. Um, yeah, I do think I do think the sort of whimsical yeah. vibes are a little bit more intentional, a little bit more maybe in line with the book itself than oh, the, yeah. than the cartoony cover for Pet really is. Yeah, because it, it, yeah, it does have like a children's book looking mm-hmm. cover, but that is also sort of the world of it. Oh yeah, no, I do think the cover is very accurate to the content, um, but. Yeah, or, like, the feel of the cover really matches the feel of the content in that book. And uh, it's a very uplifting book. I recommend it if you want a light read um, that will leave you feeling happy. (laughs) I I actually enjoyed it so much that I have not read any of that others, that author's other books. Uh, They have a couple. I think one for teens and one for adults. Um, And I just enjoyed this one so much that I don't want to read any of their other stuff. You just don't want to ruin it. Yeah. Like, I know it won't be as good. (laughs) Which is better. I know, it could be better. I I do need to do that, but I just just somehow haven't been able to to dip my toe in that water yet. (laughs) Yeah, the author is TJ Clune. I think they have two YA books now. I haven't read Mm -hmm. those either. I've only read House of Mystery Lancy. Um, It is a a lovely book. 
the we also have books of the month for teens yeah. that I'd like to highlight because again, adults can and should read them. Mm-hmm. And the February book of the month is uh, The Voting Booth by Brandy Colbert. Uh, this is a book we picked sort of specifically because February is Black History Month. Um, Brandy Colbert is a great um, black author. And this is a book about, it's set all in one day, and it's just the story of two black teens who meet on uh, voting day in their town, and they're both 18, so it's the first day that they'll be allowed to vote. But they're... Um, I forget the main character's names. I should have looked that up. But there's a boy and a girl, as is often the case in this heteronormative world. And the girl is an activist, and she is out here getting people registered to vote, and she's been very passionate about this election. And the boy has had a problem with his um, voter registration because he's moved, and they're trying to tell him to go to a different precinct to vote. And he's going to give up and just go to school because it doesn't seem that important to vote. And that drives her crazy and so she says no like this is what we're doing and so they spend the entire day driving around trying to get him registered to vote and running into all these obstacles along the way including the girl um as a as a hobby outside of her activism has an instagram famous cat and in the chaos of the day her cat escapes and they have to go in this neighborhood hunt for the cat while also trying to get him registered to vote it's very funny, but it is also this, like, timely reminder of how important our voting rights are and how hard mm-hmm. it can be to exercise them sometimes. But ultimately, it's just kind of this whirlwind of a single day in two teens' lives, and it's it's a great read for for this month or any month, I would say. Yeah. So I love a book that's all set in one day. Yeah. yeah. There aren't a lot of those, but there's just something very fun about, like, you know, that that detailed view of, like, a very constricted time period. It gives um, the author a lot to, like, uh, kind of space to really focus on everything surrounding that yeah. moment, too. Yeah. 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 Um, That's that also in the great. tradition of, like, books about cats that run away and that <laughs> yeah. causes the book to start. <laughs> yeah. And it takes off the tree. Uh, that would be a good display. Yeah. Like, Cat adventure. <laughs> I actually, I'm, I'm slated for the next just display. Uh, there you go. For those of you listening and wondering, everyone at the library loves making displays, and so we're on approximately a two year rotation <laughs> where you get to make one display every two years. <laughs> and I feel like the pressure is a little bit overwhelming. So I'm like, this is my one chance. What yeah. do I want to put on display? Um, I think. You've just had yours, and yours is coming up, because our last names are in the same part of the alphabet. Um, I cheated. I got to do two displays, because I took Ariane's slot, and I was like, can can I just do two? Yeah. (laughs) So. I know, you lucked out. I was a little. I for two years. Yeah. (laughs) I know. I was a little sad you got there first, but, you know, you deserve it for, like, taking that opportunity. Yeah. (laughs) You just have to drive someone else to quit. Yeah. (laughs) But, I mean, that was my long con, as I got (laughs) I got the person with the last name after me to quit. So I two two displays. <laughs> and how I did it was I let her cat out and she had to go. Oh, she's on an adventure. Yeah. <laughs> she had to go look for her cat. Absolutely. Um, in, in case anyone's listening, I obviously did not do that. And she got a different job or a different life. Yeah. It's not a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> she may not even have a cat. Yeah. 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 No. <laughs> not anymore. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, I will say in terms of, I mean, our world is very heteronormative. But um, but that's something that Anne Leckie pushes against in all of her novels. So if you're interested in exploring that, her stuff is 
a good way to go. And also a house in the Cerulean Sea. Also kind of, Cerulean Sea, uh, yes. You know, doesn't take a totally heteronormative focus, so... Also, a quick Amaze, I did not mention that, but there's, um, the main character of Pet is trans, and there's yeah. a lot of queer characters in Bitter, so. Yeah. yeah, we got options. Yeah. We got options for you. Um, although, yeah, I mean, you know, the vast majority <laughs> of books in the world do take a pretty heteronormative stance. Yeah, if, if it starts like, being about a boy and a girl, it's a good guess that they do get together, and yeah. maybe that happens in the voting booth, but I don't know, you gotta read it. Yeah. <laughs> Find out. I am a sucker for a romance in any sort of a book, I'll, I'll admit. It's not a necessary component, but it does not hurt things. You know, there's there's possibly some white romance in provenance. Yeah, you gotta have the roses. Yeah, exactly. Roses, yeah. <laughs> gotta have the roses, gotta have some joy in life. So So your bread is a following a cat adventure and <laughs> romance. The bread is the voting right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I like it. The roses is non heteronormativity. Yeah. Yes. I guess. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And then I don't. I got some roses for Valentine's Day, and my my cat ate them and threw up, and that was my. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the cat's role, I think, with the roses. Mm. Is third party to eat the roses. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> I guess cats should not eat roses. Really not. <laughs> uh, I did look it up. If anyone's curious, they're not poisonous the way some flowers are. It just gave him a little upset tummy. Yeah. No, oh, he's fine. Poor kitty. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, you know that's what you get for eating other people's presents. Exactly. Like, yeah. Don't do that. That's not cool. <laughs> yeah, that's that's our PSA to podcast listeners. Yeah. Some flowers your cat absolutely can't eat, and you have to take them to the emergency room. It's okay if they eat roses, but they still shouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> it's your PSA to cats. Yeah, yeah actually. Yeah. Well, our feline listeners. Yeah. Oh, man. I am on the wait list for a new book that involves cats and libraries, and I'll, I'm hopefully going to enjoy that. It's Japanese, and I feel like there's a trend of Japanese books about cats that end with the cat dying. I, so. I almost <laughs> never like to read books about cats because so often that, yeah. that's the end, and I don't. I don't yeah. do that in my life right no. now. <laughs> but I'm like, but cats and libraries. I have yeah. to I have to try it. Even mm-hmm. let's see, what is it what is it called? Um I feel like it has it's like and there's fantasy and it just it just oh, it's called the cat who saved books. Oh, that's a good cat. I know, right? And the cover shows a cat stepping through books, maybe as though it's like a ghost cat. Ooh, um, no. <laughs> I know. I actually think it's a cat in a bookstore, not a library. But uh, like, okay. yeah. you know, um, by Sosuke Natsukawa. So someday, okay. that whole will be if available. you read that, you come back and let me know. I absolutely, <laughs> I absolutely will. I am. I know. I'm always a little bit wary about cat books because, mm-hmm. like, so often they end. In disaster for the cat. Yeah. And, and, and dogs, I, too. Oh, yeah. I feel like dog books without fail, they always... I will not that. read a book with a dog on the cover. Yeah, unless true. unless someone who has read it can, like, personally assure me that the dog does not die. Yeah. yeah. There is... I don't know if you guys know the website, doesthedogdie.com. Oh. It's mostly for movies, but it is user-submitted, so there are some books there. Cool. And it, it, it covers other things, too, like that... You know, does does a parent die? Does right. a child die? Right. And then you can just be forewarned if yeah. there's things you don't want to watch in a movie. Mm-hmm. But, or read in a book. 
if you if you need an uplift, I will recommend the website catsandsinks.com. <laughs> amazing. There are no dead cats. There are just photos of cats in sinks. Mm-hmm. And you click on the photo and it shows you another photo of a different cat in a different sink. And you can just do this just forever. <laughs> so if you do read a book where something bad happens to a cat or other beloved animal and you need a little uplift after, I highly recend catsandsinks.com. It is it delivers exactly what it says it will. And I appreciate that. <sighs> well, I suppose that that probably wraps things up for for this episode. <laughs> We've covered everything. Yeah. Red, roses, cats, sinks. Yeah. <laughs> What else could you possibly need? Um, book of the month, even. Mm-hmm. We're going to have a different book of the month every single month Yay. this year. Um, and the children's room also has children's book of the month. Oh, yes. They have they have a picture book and then, like, a chapter book. So no matter your age, we have a book of the month for you. Uh, they're not holdable, but you can come in and take one off the display if, if there are any. Mm-hmm. Um, so March 1st, you want to get that March book, you should come visit the library. Mm-hmm borrow some stuff, and, uh, you know, enjoy. (laughs) All right, well, thank you, Renata and Justin, for joining me, and uh, I feel like I haven't thanked you in a while for producing the podcast or editing it, so thank you, Justin, for that, for covering the technical side of things, and um, thank you to our listeners for listening. Obviously, you found us somewhere if you are listening to this. But all of the places we are available are our website, mhl.org slash podcast. We're in Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher, and on Spotify. So thank you for listening, and we hope you'll listen next time. Bye!